He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor, and crippled, and blind, and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we're thankful for your word that speaks to us, no matter what stage or season we might be in. And we're thankful for the way that it reveals your generous heart of hospitality. That you are the great host who longs to fulfill our hearts and souls with the finest affairs, to give us the greatest desires of all, yourself and to satisfy us forever with your presence. Father, as we come to this passage this morning, would you open our hearts to receive your word, and would you grant me clarity of word and thought so that we might receive this invitation to salvation at the banquet of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 2009, there was a banquet for the ages. Astrophysicist Stephen Hawking had a very unusual way of throwing a dinner party. He found a banquet hall, got good food, nice ornaments and decorations, all the things you would expect, except for one thing, a very unusual guest list. You see, exclusively invited to this banquet were travelers from the future. Uh, Stephen Hawking had an idea. He might be able to prove that time travel was possible, you see, if he threw a banquet and then didn't invite anyone to it until after it happened. So what he did is he set up the banquet. He sat in the room by himself for several hours. And then after it occurred, he sent out invitations far and wide in the hopes that someday a time traveler would find his invitation and come to that exact place and time and prove time travel was possible. Uh, unfortunately, as in his own words, 
nobody showed up. He sat there in a very awkward, opulent room for hours on end, and nobody came to his party. Uh, someone pointed out to me this week, that's a bummer at two levels for him. At one level, it proves, or at least comes close to proving, that time travel is not possible. But on another level, if it is possible, it proves no one wants to hang out with Stephen Hawking. <laughs> uh, a party is only as good, it's only as good as the guests that arrive to enjoy the host's generous hospitality. That's a principle that's been true for thousands of years. This morning, we're going to learn a lesson from Jesus about an invitation that's been extended to each of us to a banquet that is truly for the ages, the great banquet of God himself, the most generous of all hosts, who is extending his hospitality to the most unusual of guests. This morning, we will learn from Jesus' interaction with a group of very religious people around a dinner table this one central truth that we must not miss our invitation to salvation at the banquet of God. Say it again so we don't miss it. That we must not miss our invitation to salvation at the banquet of God. We'll see that in two stages, two different scenes, Jesus at a dinner party. The first has to do with who you invite. And the second has to do with how you respond. Let's begin in that first section, 12 through 14. Who to invite to your parties? If you weren't here with us last week, let me catch you up. Jesus was at a dinner party of the upper crust of the religious elites in his day. It was on a Sabbath day, which meant that only the theological heavyweights would have been invited to dine at the very important uh, ruler of the Pharisees' house for after Sabbath uh, synagogue dinner. Uh, while he's there, though, Jesus has totally trampled on the decorum of the event. He has seen fit to offend virtually everyone that's there. He did so first by exposing their lack of compassion doing a miracle of healing on the Sabbath day in their midst. And then he did so by pricking the pretensions of the proud, showing how they are really more interested in accruing social credit than they are with pleasing God. Well, now he's going to turn his attention not to people wanting to climb the social ladder, but to the host of the event. That's where we pick up in verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or a rich neighbor, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus turns to his host and gives a teaching designed to provide a heart check. Look at the list of the people you invite and it will reveal something about what you care about most. He gives a warning that cuts against the grain 
of what would have been accept, accepted societally back then. He warns against the assumption of what all of us would do with our dinner parties. That is that we would extend a generous hospitality to the people we're close to, our relatives, our friends, our neighbors, the people in the same social circles as us, the people that live in the same neighborhoods that we do, that have the same types of jobs that we do, that like the same sort of things that we like. Along these lines of affinity, it's easy to be generous. Come on over to my house, enjoy this wonderful meal. Now, on the surface, it seems like Jesus is saying, blanketly, you must not ever do these things. I don't think that's the case. Uh, Jesus himself did have friends and family. And in fact, scripture records for us times where he dined with them in their house. Uh, think of Mary and Martha. He went over to their house, right? I don't think Jesus was causing them to sin by going over to dinner. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, Jesus is warning not against showing hospitality to those who are like us in entirety. He's warning against doing it in exclusively. Uh, see, there is this tendency that we have, uh, a tendency to develop social circles that turn into cliques. Uh, we build up the walls of who's in and who's out because we're comfortable on the people on the inside who are like us. And we'd rather not have to deal with the people on the outside that aren't so much like us. It could be that they grew up in going to a different school than we do. Or maybe they're of a different socioeconomic background than us or a different ethnicity. Or maybe they're just people that are a little socially awkward. It's much more comfortable to be around people that we fit with. That it's natural to let our guard down around, right? According to Jesus, though, there's a problem with exclusively inviting those sort of people over. The problem is that they might invite you back. Do you notice that, what he said there? He said, don't invite these sorts of people lest they also invite you in return. Well, that doesn't seem so bad. I invite you over, you invite me over. What's wrong with that? Well, there's something majorly missing from that equation, though. Uh, see, back then, there was even more so than today, a I scratch your back, you scratch mine sort of mentality. Uh, you did good to other people of your social standing or maybe a little bit above you in the hopes that that will ingratiate them towards you. And they might show you that same sort of social grace, inviting you back to their, uh, to their uh, social gatherings in the future. And in so doing, you both maintain and might even improve your social standing. Uh, but Jesus says if that's the sort of reward you're working for, once you get it, that's all you should expect to get. Because it's missing the most important part of any equation. What does God think of our hearts? That's where Jesus turns his attention to next. He says, uh, uh, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, instead invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 
God has an opinion about the guest list for every banquet that you will throw. God has an opinion about each and every one of our social circles, no matter how big or how tight. And according to Jesus, if we want the smile of heaven upon us to one day turn into God's reward upon us, then we need to be careful who we invite. Jesus has a very different sort of guest list that he suggests to us. Instead of those who are like you, or might be able to do you some good, instead invite the nobodies, uh, the people that everyone would assume would be off your list. That list is important in this passage, uh, repeated twice in the section we're looking at now and the one we'll look at, at ahead. The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. It's hard to understand how much of an outsider that would make someone. Uh, you see, back then, there were regulations about who God allowed to come close to him in his temple. Um, God is a perfect and holy God. And he does not, uh, his perfection has certain requirements about who is fit to come into his presence. And that meant that the people that served in the temple, like the priests, had to be free of the very types of defects physically that Jesus is describing here. If you were born with a lame leg, or with poor eyesight, or some sort of blemish upon you, you could never enter into the inner courts of the temple. You were cut off from the presence of, the closest presence of God. Well, people had drawn lines from, well, if God won't let them close here, then why should I let them close in my social circles? Uh, which meant that if you were a religious person back then, it, chances were you would have thought of any of the people on that list as an other. Someone to be kept at arm's length or on the outside. Certainly not someone fit to be on your invite list for your generous banquet. But friends, uh, that set of assumptions is missing something very important. And that's God's heart of mercy. Uh, Jesus, when he arrived, he arrived preaching a message that's good news for those who are the nobodies. Because in God's sights, they are precisely the somebodies that the Messiah came to shower with grace. You remember what Jesus preached his first sermon back in Luke 4? Quoting from the prophet Isaiah, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, the nobodies in the world's sight are precisely the somebodies that God has designed to show his grace in his generous banquet, the feast for souls that goes on forever. Uh, Jesus says, when you put together your invite list, make sure you have the people on it that can't pay you back in the here and now. In so doing, you'll reflect the heart of God. And in so doing, you will in faith be able to expect the reward of God. One day at the resurrection of the just, uh, what those people that you invited couldn't repay you with, God will more than repay you with. Uh, you will not have missed out on anything because there's a God who watches 
and holds us to account. And he delights when we share his heart of generous hospitality to people that have no ability to pay us back. Surely the most direct application from this comes from the way we handle our stewardship of our social relationships, even those social circles that each of us inevitably are part of. Lamentably, Christians do have a tendency to form up into cliques. I know that's a shock. None of us have ever experienced that. Uh, kids, I think this is one of the first ways that you can see whether believing in Jesus is having a difference in your life. Who are the people that you are friends with? Uh, no matter what class you walk into or what youth group you're a part of, there will always be some people that are easy to be friends with, that will make you look good by being friends with them, and others who, if you hang out with, will mean others might think less of you. They might even think you a little strange. One of the ways that you can live out what Jesus is describing here is by being open to being friends with all types of people. Maybe look for the kid that's sitting by himself at the lunch table. Invite him to come and sit with you because you believe what Jesus says here, that God is watching and that he will reward you. Now, of course, it's not just kids that have this tendency. Um, Christian adults also very easily form up into tight little social circles with high walls and keep the people on the outside that aren't like us and make sure all the people on the inside are just like us so that we are comfortable and can let our guard down so that we really feel like we're connecting with people. Now, again, let's remember Jesus is not saying that we can never have close relationships that it's wrong to ever invite over friends or neighbors or even to have small groups in a church. I don't think that's an implication of this at all. But he is pushing very hard against the idea that we can be exclusively comfortable in our tight little social circles. Now, most of all, we who have been invited close by the generous hospitality of a God who we could never repay, uh, we who are the spiritually lame and blind and crippled, we should be the most welcoming of all. There should never be a person we meet that we think is outside of the realm of the people that God would have us show his generous hospitality to. Um, as I've thought about the applications to our church, one of the things I thought about is our mission statement. We exist to lead people to know and trust Jesus. I love that mission statement. It's great. But did you notice there's no qualifiers on it? We don't exist to lead certain types of people to know and trust Jesus. Not just 20-year-olds like us, if you're 20. Uh, not just people in a certain income bracket, whatever yours might be. Uh, not just people that look like you or came from the same type of family as you. Now, we believe that we are here to lead all types of people to know and trust Jesus, to have hearts and hands that are wide open in generous hospitality, because that's the way God has received us. Now, church, I, I know it's possible for any, even Bible-believing, gospel-loving church to one day turn inward and form up walls of cliques, but I have to say, as I have looked at our congregation, I praise God that I don't think that is largely what we are like. 
Uh, yesterday was a wonderful snapshot of it. Uh, we had people from all different ages and stages and backgrounds coming from all over the city, coming to our church property, and they're enjoying our food. And there they were having conversations with our members. And I rejoice that that is the, the heart that I hear again and again from visitors that is present among us. Now, I would just ex encourage you in that. Keep doing that. And let's pray that the Lord would prevent us from doing the very natural thing in our flesh. From at some point saying, you know, I've got enough friends. I don't need to be concerned with welcoming that person after service is over. I don't need to invite that younger couple over to have a conversation about parenting and how I might be able to encourage them. Uh, let's always ask the Lord to help us to have our invite list, always have room for one more and believe that he will provide us with the grace. Even if one day our reward doesn't come until that final day when Jesus returns. Jesus gives us here a quick way that we can test our hearts. How generous and hospitable are we really? Well, just look at the people you invite to come close. Are there the people that can pay you back, that are just like you? Or are they the people that only if you believe that one day God in heaven will reward you, will there be any gain if you spend your time, talent, and treasure to reach out to them? Jesus says, be careful who you invite. Uh, but next, he turns his attention not to us as hosts, but how we respond to the greatest of all hosts, that is God himself. We see here how to respond in 15 through 24. My guess is you are familiar with the way that weddings operate these days. Um, I'm told it wasn't always this way, but these days there is something called a, a save the date that goes out. It lets you know the date, maybe the time if you're lucky, but certainly the date of when a wedding's coming. Now, it's not yet the invitation. It's just kind of letting you know it's coming. But the, you should be prepared for that invitation to show up at some point in the near future once that save the date of, arrives. And then once the actual wedding invitation arrives, there is a certain protocol, right? Um, you are to RSVP in a timely fashion. You are to say, yes, we are coming, or no, with regrets. Uh, you are to indicate how many people are coming. And it would be unbelievably rude if you indicate that two of us are coming, and then you show up with four of you. Or if you say, yes, we're coming, and then on the day that comes, you regrettably don't attend. There's a certain protocol that comes when you're being invited to a feast of a certain stature like a wedding. Well, that's certainly true 2,000 years ago, even more so. Uh, Jesus is going to use the invite system of the ancient world to show us how we must be ready to respond to the invitation to salvation from God to sinners like us. Now, up until now, things have admittedly not been going well at this dinner party for the hosts that invited Jesus. Uh, he has basically, at this point, checked off everyone on his bingo card uh, the, to have insulted directly. Um, the conversation has been very awkward. There's been a number of 
those awkward silences that just make you want to wish I was somewhere else at this moment. Which is why you can understand what happens in verse 15. Some blessed soul decides he's going to try to inject a little positivity into the dinner discourse. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, to understand what's happening here, you have to know a little about their assumptions back then. If you were a religious Jew, you lived under the assumption that virtually all of us, that is the people of Israel, virtually all of us will enjoy God's banquet to come at the end of the world. That there's a day coming when God will lavish upon all of his people this rich feast that will satisfy their souls. And the people that are on that invite list, it's basically the nation of Israel. You have to do something exceptionally, exceptionally evil to be excluded. It's virtually all of us and virtually none of them. Uh, that would be anyone else. All the other nations of the world, all the other Gentiles, anyone that's not a part of our group will be excluded. So this means this comment is meant to be a sort of amen line. Uh, it's like the red meat that will rile up the crowd. Blessed is everyone who will dine with God in his banquet, which happens to be all of us. Pat ourselves on the back. Aren't we great, everybody? There's not an Israelite you would meet that would disagree with the statement the guy made. So this is an effort to get Jesus onto a more lighthearted, upbeat topic. But if you know anything about Jesus, you can't manipulate him. And he isn't done pricking the pretensions of the proud. This time he'll use a parable to do it. He tells a story starting in verse 16. It's a story about a very rich man that throws a very rich banquet, described as a great banquet. Uh, he must be rich because the words used to describe this and the scope of the invite list is only something that someone with a lot of money would be able to afford. Uh, he has the finest fare waiting for his guests. And he follows the convention of the day to make sure that he has a full room. That would be a two-stage invite system. See, the way it worked back then is if you wanted to get people to come to your party, you would send out invitations maybe a month ahead of time. Maybe you'd send a servant out, tell everyone, hey, there's going to be a party on this day. Will you come? Now, that is the moment for the RSVP. You would either say, yes, I'm coming, or no, I'm not. I regret it's, I'm not, it's not possible for me to come. From that point forward, the invite list is set. Now, they didn't have Google Calendar reminders back then. So there was a second uh, invite that would go out, which is really more like a reminder. This would usually be the day before or maybe the day of the event. Uh, they would send a servant to come to all the guests and say, hey, don't forget that party. Remember, you, have, you said you were coming to it. It's coming in the next day or so. Make sure you're there. Now, to change your RSVP status at that second invite is the tantamount, uh, it's the highest form of insult that you could imagine. It's the most rude response you could give to a host. 
They've already bought the food. They've already made all the arrangements. There's no going back. And you are spitting in their face to say no at this point. Well, that's important to know because in this story, you would expect that all the people that get that second invite will say, of course I'm coming. But in this story, none of the people that get that second invite say that they're coming. We're given three examples, each of them with a paper thin excuse for why they will not come. They've already responded yes to the first invitation, but when the second invitation comes, one guy says, oh yeah, you know, I just remembered I bought some farmland and I got to go walk around and inspect it. I'm sorry, I, please excuse me, I'm not able to come. Now, who buys farmland without inspecting it first? Buying property sight unseen is not a good strategy today. It was even worse back then. It's pretty obvious that's a flimsy excuse. The second guy is no better. He says, yeah, I bought six oxen, and I need to take them out in the field and take them for a test drive. Uh, so I regret I'm not able to come to the party like I said I would. Please excuse me. Now, again, who buys oxen without making sure that they can plow a field? Like, it's just basic basic agricultural categories here. Like, no one does that. This is a paper-thin excuse. It's unbelievably rude, but at least he says, please excuse me. Now, the third guy, man, he has some nerve. Uh, the third guy says, uh, not that I bought a field or that I bought some oxen, but I've acquired a bride. Um, but he doesn't even say, uh, please excuse me. He just says, I got married, so I can't come. A flat no. How rude. Now, to be sure, there was some accommodation in Israelite society. If you were married, you were exempt from things like military service. But you weren't exempt from going to parties. I mean, we're talking one night here. This is paper thin. So he gets three rude no's, which are meant to show the larger group all reject the invitation they had supposedly accepted before. So what happens? Pick it up with me in verse 20, uh, verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets in the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. The master of the house is indignant, as he should be. He's been repeatedly insulted. But he is still going to throw his party. The only thing that's going to change is the guest list. He junks the old one, and he comes up with a shocking new one. He sends his servant into the city and says, go round up the nobodies. Uh, those nobodies that no one would imagine I would invite those are precisely the somebodies that are going to come and enjoy my feast. Notice it's the exact same categories from the section before, the blind, the lame, the crippled, the poor. Those are the people that will come and sit at that fine table and enjoy the delicious delicacies to be showered with the generous hospitality of this rich host. Oh, but there's a problem. The servant comes back comes back having succeeded, bringing all the people like that he could find. He says, Master, there's still a lot more room. There's just not enough of them. So the master does something even more shocking. 
He says, let's open it up even wider. Uh, go out to the highways and the hedges. Go to the places that the travelers that are just passing through would be. And bring in the foreigners. In Jewish terms, this would be the most shocking thing of all. Bring in the Gentiles. Uh, those pagans that for generations have been worshiping other gods. Go bring them to my feast. Because every seat needs to be occupied for the feast that I have prepared. Now, all of that would have been utterly surprising and shocking to the people here. But none of it matches up to the last line, which is the punchline of this whole thing. It's not spoken in the voice of the narrator anymore. Now it's Jesus looking across to these prideful, powerful people right across from him saying these words. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now this verse is the key to understanding this entire parable. What Jesus is speaking about here is God's plan, a plan made in eternity past to bring a group of people close to him, to be satisfied in their souls forever by God himself. The only image fitting for such lavish generosity and hospitality is the richest feast you can imagine. God has been speaking about this and inviting a set of people to it for a long time. Those first sets of invites have been in for generations. He's been sending prophets and writing down scriptures so that the people of Israel, God's people at that time, would know that their invitation to the salvation banquet of God was theirs. But now the moment has come for that second set of invites to go out. Uh, God's servant, the son Jesus, has gone out as the Messiah. Only he's found people are rudely rejecting the generous invitation of God again and again and again. Uh, in Luke's gospel, there, we've been building to this moment and once to come. I, I don't think it's any accident that Jesus has this very stark judgment upon the religious elites of the people rejecting him, positioned at this point. Because this is the last dinner that Luke records for Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, they have said no to the second invitation. And that means they will be excluded from God's generous banquet. But God's plan will not be thwarted. It just means he has to reveal another aspect of it. it turns out, back in eternity past, he had designed for the guest list to include people that no one would have expected. Which is why invites have now started going out to the nobodies who are somebodies in God's sight to the spiritually lame and blind and crippled, the spiritually impoverished, those who are lowly in heart will find that they are precisely the sort of people that will receive the rich generosity of God forever. And even more shocking, that group is going to include not just Israelites, but people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. People from all corners of the world, from all different types of backgrounds. 
as diverse a mix as you could possibly imagine, this generous host will have at his table forever. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, what you must know about what Jesus is teaching here is that this morning you have received an invitation to the salvation banquet of God. And no matter who you are or where you grew up or what your life's been like, God is extending this generous offer to you. Now, you may not have known it up until now, but God has every reason to be angry with each of us. At some time or the other, each of us has refused God. We rejected the way he has made us and tried to live for ourselves. Or we've closed our ears to the things he said to us and rudely tried to live life on our own terms. The Bible calls this sin. The Bible says if we were to get what we deserve from God, it would be nothing but his anger and punishment. But the good news is this God is a God full of love and mercy and, yes, generous hospitality, even toward his enemies, which is why he sent his son, Jesus, not just to pass out invites, but to make those invites possible. Uh, Jesus is God's salvation plan. God the Son who gave his life as a substitute for sinners. When Jesus died on the cross, he did so as a sacrifice in the place of sinners of all kinds. God put our sin on Jesus on the cross and punished him in our place so that we can be forgiven of each and every one of our sins, no matter how repeated or heinous they might be. And God didn't just allow Jesus to die on the cross. He raised him from the dead to prove that he actually can bring you close that he really can get you on that invite list to the great banquet of God. Now, friend, if you're here this morning and you've never responded to the invitation to salvation of Jesus Christ, uh, you must know that there are a long list of excuses that I'm sure your mind will come up with. Uh, You might think, I'm too busy right now. I've got other things that are more important. You might think, I'm not put together enough to live a religious life like that. Or maybe you think it's all just too unbelievable. Uh, Friend, no matter what excuse you've been telling yourself, know that according to Jesus, none of them are legitimate. We must respond when that invitation comes to us because we don't know how many opportunities we'll get. Friend, all you have to do is respond with repentance and faith. Just believe that Jesus really did these things. And turn from your sin and trust him. Ask him to forgive you. If you do that, friend, you'll find a a peace come into your heart right now. But even better, you'll find yourself seated at that wonderful banquet. Satisfied forever in your soul. Now to all of us who are Christians this morning, I think the application that we are to draw from this is an unending source of hope as we live through difficult times and seasons and trials. Maybe you've had a difficult day or really hard week or an especially hard month or year. Being a Christian doesn't make you immune from life feeling like it's not going well for you. 
But what's, what it does do is give you something to look forward to. Hope that your best day is always ahead of you. As Revelation 19.9 says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And if you've come to God through Jesus Christ, then your best day is not yet here. Because all the earthly desires you have, no matter how good they may be, are actually just an appetizer to get you ready for the true feast of your soul. You forever being in the presence and loving relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, that day is one day closer than it was yesterday. And your place at that table is 100% assured because Jesus has made sure that you are on his invite list, even though you could never repay him for it. So brothers and sisters, no matter how hard it gets or how difficult the days are, would you look forward to that day of joy that's coming? Would we have joy that we have responded to the invitation to salvation at the great banquet of God? Uh, we can never repay him. And that's kind of the point of it all. Uh, back in 1990, there was a woman who had a really hard thing happen to her. She, uh, she went by the name of Kathleen Gooley. Kathleen was a bride, got to her big day, and unfortunately her groom got cold feet. Which meant Kathleen was stuck with the bills for unrefundable deposits for the reception and the food and the dress, the whole nine yards. Well, it wasn't an appropriate occasion to have the people she invited come to, so she decided to do something truly radical and shocking. She got rid of her old invite list. She made a new one. She called up the local homeless shelter. She said, would you bring some people to fill up my banquet? Buses arrived for the big day. People came wearing t-shirts and torn jeans or dress clothes that they borrowed, certainly that they didn't own. People from all sorts of different walks of life on crutches and in wheelchairs, mothers with babies in arms, people that hadn't eaten a good meal in weeks. They sat down at tables with fine linens and crystal goblets, ate a four-course meal, the finest fare. After it was over, someone came up to her and said, you've blessed us so much, we could never pay you back. And brothers and sisters, that's kind of the point of it all. We will say as much for all eternity because the Savior came and invited the nobodies to be somebodies at the banquet table of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your generous heart to those who have no ability that have not earned a thing before you and certainly could not imagine that we could ever pay you back for anything that you've done for us. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for providing everything that was needed for us to be saved and loved and satisfied forever at the great banquet to come. Uh, Jesus, I pray for anyone who's here this morning who maybe has not yet 
taken that step to receive and accept your invitation to salvation. Uh, Maybe they've been fearful of what it might mean. Or maybe they've just harbored a thought that you might not accept them. Uh, Jesus, I pray you would knock down any barriers that would keep them from that beating heart of mercy of our Heavenly Father. And that by faith and repentance, they would know that they are saved and know that they are welcome. And Jesus, I pray now that for those of us who have been saved and have responded affirmatively to that invitation to salvation, that our hearts would be filled with joy. And even as we sing this song, that we would be amazed at the fact that you would invite people like us, the broken, the weary, the poor, the nobodies, who are somebodies at your table. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to sing now in your mighty name. Amen.